You're listening to Climate Champions, a podcast from the Architects Journal. I'm Hattie Hartman, Sustainability Editor at the Architects Journal. And I'm Hattie's co-host, George Morgan, Director of 1.5 Architecture. Welcome to episode 40 of Climate Champions. In this episode, we're going further afield to rural China to hear about some remarkable village revitalization projects. This work relates closely to conversations we've had in earlier episodes. Episode 14 on Velo City describes similar initiatives in the English countryside, and episodes 20 and 21 highlight the burgeoning use of natural materials in France. We'll also hear about the winner of this year's 100,000 euro Obel Award, Ceratec, a zero carbon concrete startup based at Imperial College. We have another fabulous book offer for Climate Champions listeners, Greta Thunberg's The Climate Book, an illustrated collection of over 100 essays on various aspects of the climate emergency assembled by Greta. We have two copies to give away, courtesy of Penguin. To win a copy, email me at hattie.hartman at emap.com with your name, address, and affiliation, and a testimonial about the podcast before January 15th, 2023. We'll pick the winners in the new year. Other news. After this episode, Climate Champions will take a short break until the spring. I hope you will use this pause to catch up on some of our past episodes. George and I very much appreciate all the support from you, our listeners. Happy holidays. If you are working in the rural, it always starts with scratch. You have no site, no program. You don't even know what to build in the, in the very beginning. You will work together with the local community to identify what would be the program. But it's not only about structures, it's also a social design program. Today, our guest is Xu Chen Chen, founding principal of DNA Design and Architecture in Beijing. Chen Chen has become increasingly well-known over the last decade for a multitude of modest projects in rural China that she has developed at lightning speed. These vary widely in their programs and materiality, but they are all based on in-depth research of their context and meaningful collaboration with local villagers. From a tofu factory to a museum, to a tea house, to the renewal of abandoned quarries, each intervention creates a platform for 21st century activities that aims to revitalize the countryside through a careful mix of enterprise and tourism. Chen Chen received her MA in Urban Design from Harvard GSD. After working for three years in Boston and briefly in the Netherlands at OMA, she founded her Beijing studio in 2004. She has received numerous awards, including the 2019 Mara Gemmel Prize for Emerging Architecture. She is currently teaching at Yale School of Architecture, where her students are applying her revitalization approach to a village in Germany. We are delighted to have you with us today, Chan Chan. While this podcast has dealt with many technical aspects of sustainability, the social value of a project and how it affects its local community are equally critical. 
The work you've been doing in rural villages exemplifies this approach, helping locals improve their incomes and continue local practices around craft and agriculture. Can you describe for us how you approach a project and how you prioritize these different parameters? Thank you, Heidi. <laughs> it's really nice to see you again and pleasure to join this talk. We have a very small office, but it also helps us to work in this way. We mostly work in rural region and always taking collaborations with the local communities and local government authority in from different levels. And it's always a joint collaboration, a collective collaboration. How you prioritize between the social, the economic, the environmental, how do you, you know, how, how did you develop this, this very kind of hyper-local targeted acupuncture approach? I think I would start from the Songyan story because it really leads to the later projects. This is the AES collaboration with the local village community and uh, local government from different levels. And we have been looking into the very individual specific history or heritage with each village and introduce a small scale public program to restore the village identity at the same time also to work to integrate with the social and economic measurements. This is always a collective collaboration with the local communities to identify what would be the program fitting with each village and what would be in, in this way uh, it engages all the, uh, the communities from the very beginning and also that helps to restore the sense of pride which also brings back motivation for the communities to further initiate new developments in their home village so the idea of acupuncture isn't just looking into you know the making of building um, in each village but rather is to create this interaction circulation within the county region, between the villages and the county urban center. So in general, we call it to rebuild the urban rural circulation. So the whole approach is, I would say it's uh, social, cultural, economic, also environmental, because when you're working in the rural area, more or less, you, you end up working with very local building technique, local vernacular material and this low-tech local wisdom actually is the most sustainable way for the local communities living at their villages for centuries. It's very holistic. Exactly. Let's say if you look at agriculture, it's local landscape, right? But it's also the intangible cultural heritage and it's also the economic, uh, the resource for their uh, revenues. So everything comes uh, actually integrated by working in this way. I've had two experiences of the practice of architecture in China. In 2008, I went to Fujian with my university and met students at Charmen University. And the students told us that at that stage, there was a tremendous pressure to develop the country quickly and not many architects to go around. In the UK, 
there's a lot of competition between architects. Do you think in China, architects are in a stronger position? There being fewer of architects compared to the amount of development? Are you quite free to pick and choose the kind of work that you do? And how do you select your, your projects? Well, it's pretty much the similar way of, you know, working in other countries for the projects, most of the projects, you work with the competitions. But actually, in the rural area, it's more difficult for the local communities to get in touch with professionals, architects from the cities who are trained in modern architecture. And also because of the restrictions on tribal communication and transportation and also the limited budget with the rural projects. There's also a different, you know, with this project scale, like what we have been working with in the villages, you can work with commissions instead of going into public competitions because the, the budget would never allow for such a open competition. It's really a big difference from the projects in the cities, which would be pre-programmed. What's more important is that the project in cities are based on city planning, urban design, with very detailed program, and, and also you always have the building red lines. So when the an site, architect, yeah. exactly the site. So when architect receive this commission or this request, it's already everything's set. But if you are working in the rural, it always start with scratch. You have no sites, no program. You don't even know what to build <laughs> in the in the very beginning. So that actually in, um, requires architect to engage into this field. I always call it a regional design. It's not urban design, but I, I don't want to call it rural design. I would say it's regional design. So you really started with the research on the, the background, the whole history of a village or, or this region. And after discussion and communication, you, end, um, you will work together with the local community to identify what would be the program what would be their interest and what would be the need to bring into this design of a building. But it's not only about structures, structure or uh, space design, but it is also a social design program. The working procedure is totally different compared to the cities. I have one big picture question that I want to put to you before we talk more about your own work. We spoke to environmental engineer Patrick Bellew in one of our previous episodes, and he's done quite a lot of work in Asia. And he said that while there are pockets of interest in, say, sustainability in China, it's not nearly as strong a focus as it is in Europe or in America. Do you have a view about this? How would you describe the main focus of sustainability in China? I think um, sustainability has always been a big issue with architecture here, but maybe it's not, would it be the defining moment of architecture? Maybe it's less about only focusing on the technology, 
I think the work in the rural region is very different from the work in cities in, in China, where city has more large-scale development. We don't believe that large-scale development works to rural, to the villages. I, I would say that working in the rural region, the most urgent issue for our context, it's really to revive these villages, to restore their pride and motivation. We have to work with the uh, local building method and local material, but it's also strategic to engage the local community that this is something they're familiar with. But also that's a low-tech low method applied to environment. And that seems to be why your projects are having so much success. Yeah, so thinking about the social situation in the villages in China, the UK, it really feels like a country in decline. Everyone's poorer than their parents. Millions of people rely on free food from charities. And post-pandemic, uh, many shops are boarded up, particularly in towns outside of London. But China is developing extremely rapidly, and many people have left the countryside to work in the cities. So how does it feel in the villages now? Is there a sense of comparative decline within a rapidly advancing country? Or is money starting to flow back to the villages now? So when we first visited Songyang County eight years ago, many of the villages become what they were having very low population and mostly in, in, in elders. And we call it um, hollow village. That, that means it's almost empty. And uh, I would say that after working eight years in this region, we have seen this trend of people returning from cities back to the county, to this region. I would say it's also with the, uh, the central government policy of rural revitalization to encourage village development um, rural tourism and eco-agriculture, which really opens up a new kind of a economic potential opportunity for, well, I would say it's a new type of a rural economy. A lot of young people returning home, uh, starting up their own business on rural tourism and eco-agriculture, which um, actually brings them bigger um, income potential compared to living and working in cities. So your work has been documented in two beautiful catalogs from the Edis Architecture Gallery in Berlin. We'll put a link in the show notes. Can you tell us how you first got started with this approach? What was it, you know, after you came back from your experience in the States and in Europe, what was it that led you into this work? In the beginning, we were first invited by the local government for a, a another project, which is not even finished after eight years. But that actually brought us to Songyang County, to this agricultural county. And I remember the, uh, the first visit was in January 2014. And it was really the first time for me to explore the ancient villages and beautiful agricultural rural landscape like tea plantation and that was really fascinating. We ended up working as 
local advisors, the local villagers would, would approach us, asking you know an architect from Beijing City to give them opinions or advice, opinions to look into their village development, whether they should have a new building or they should um, demolish some of the vacant, empty houses. So these are the questions that that have uh, been brought up to us. And then we ended up working, you know, in the first year, we ended up working with over a dozen pro bono projects, very small-scale projects. Actually, from the catalogue by ADAS, most of the projects were done in the first year. So next year, we started to, to bring up this architectural acupuncture as a more systematic methodology to Songyang County. And so eventually we ended up working with over 20 buildings or projects around this region. Well, you've been described as an architectural social worker because through your research, you kind of suss out how to create a 21st century spatial platform for these new activities that make sense in a given place. And you've said that in one of the villages where you upgraded a number of abandoned houses for homestays and inserted a small workshop, the population has increased from 20 to 200 over the last four or five years. That's really incredible. And in the case of the brown sugar factory, where a new facility replaced traditional domestic production, the price of brown sugar went up was it four or five times. These are really quite extraordinary impacts. How do you get to that kind of essence of what makes a place tick and, and figure out you know, what's appropriate in a given place? <laughs> when you say it's acupuncture, you first, um you're acting like almost like a doctor, right? And so you first you need to identify, you have to diagnose the issues. Every project started through communication. I simply just by talking to people you met in a village, you instantly got the idea. You, know, you can see how they, you know, what, what really makes them uh, proud from each village. And it's really different from village to village. And then you have the idea of what would be the type of program. And, and I think I remember some of the projects, we just have the idea on our first visit to, to the place. Like the Wanjing Memorial Hall, which is a space dedicated to the ancestor. And on the first day, everybody agreed this will be the program. <laughs> And I think actually later on, we were also approached by different, by other villages. They, they brought up their own um, initiative to us. So eventually it worked, you know, well, you started to, to make the proposal, but eventually when the projects are built, like the brown sugar uh, factory, once the project was in use, once the factory was running, the other villages would come up to us uh, saying that we also have a different product like tofu or the camellia oil or rice wine or, or paper making. So in, in this area, you will see that there are so many different type of activities and productions in, in this, within this region. And 
Each one is a intangible cultural heritage that passed by generations. So actually, it makes all the villagers skilled workers on this specific production. Uh, yeah, so in this metaphor of architectural acupuncture, so there's like a circulation system or uh, of kind of some of its food products, like sort of growing soybeans and making tofu and then getting that to market. So th th you're making a kind of intervention within this kind of process to sort of unlock a, a blockage that it can flow more more freely, I guess. But then also bring a sort of tourism element to, to show people the processes of it of it getting made. It, it seems to be kind of both continuing a cultural practice, but also having this kind of tourism aspect. Is, is that quite a big thing in China for sort of food based tourism? Actually, all these projects, first of all, it's for the for the local villages to have a space for their agricultural production, for food production. So it's a upgrade of their working uh, environment. And at the same time, by providing a space for visitors, it also brings the possibility to increase the, the price for this product because the visitor would come and, and really the factory itself will promote this product. But we have also been working with the local schools and the communities in the, in the county urban center and in, within the, the adjacent area with the city residents. So it becomes a kind of a, a attraction for the local residents who are living in the urban center would come for a weekend or just a, a short getaway. But I would also say that this is more a educational program, especially for the local school children, young kids, to learn about the history and heritage. So yes, it's not only on one dimension, I would say it's more kind of multi-purpose with different dimensions, cultural and also economic. This is a really bring up the price for each product. How do you get all these projects off the ground and so quickly with such a small team? Because it's in quite a remote location and you're in Beijing, now you're, you're in New Haven. Do you do a lot remotely or do you people go and stay on the ground for extended stays? How do you work and how do you find the contractors to build these projects so quickly? In the beginning, we have to be there very often. I would say almost half of the time in Songyang County. But eventually, once you have a few projects built, the local villages, the local people will see the results, the impact, and then they would start to engage more with this process. So it becomes model example for the other villages. And also this opens up a collaboration platform with local village community, with the local design institute who could actually work more efficiently on site. And the idea of the, the work of our work in, in the rural isn't, like I said, isn't just to make the buildings, the number of buildings, but rather to take architecture together with social design. So there is a big emphasis on natural materials 
in your work, Chen Chen, bamboo, timber, stone. And in our sixth episode, we spoke to Anna Herringer, an architect who works with mud and bamboo in rural Bangladesh and a former winner of the Obel Award. She told us that there, these natural materials had less prestige than industrial materials like concrete or steel. And part of her work was trying to show the beauty of these traditional materials. I believe you've encountered similar attitudes in your work, uh, particularly with rammed earth. Can you tell us about that? We have been working with many different materials in the region. Whatever that could be convenient and handy for us, and, and if when you go to different villages, you, you will instantly see that they have a certain preference on certain material. It is easier for you to find skilled workers on this type of material and building technique. I think it's also to revive this building technology as a local cultural heritage as well. I mean, for the projects like Hakka Indenture Museum, we wanted to take the local masonry building technique as a metaphor for indenture system as a legal foundation of the Hakka society. And actually, this has been a lost building technique in the region because more villagers build their houses by brick or by cement, mostly by cement. So the, the, this museum project becomes the opportunity to restore or to revive this lost building technology. But on the other hand, it also helped to train. It, it becomes a educational opportunity to train young construction workers, villagers on this masonry technique. Yes, using stone is... That's an interesting topic in terms of sustainability. There's a growing interest in using stone as a more sustainable, lower carbon alternative to concrete. So yeah, you've used it in the camellia oil factory as well. Is there much interest in, in the use of stone for, for that reason as being more sustainable? In the UK, it's very prestigious material. Does it have that meaning in China as well? No, it, it, it's not about being prestigious. <laughs> On the other hand, I would say that most of the projects in the mountain area, it just comes naturally with stone as its building material. It's easy to collect. And for some of like the stone for the Camellia Oil Factory, we collect it from the water, from the river, from the creek, right next to the building. <laughs> and it, in a way, you kind of have to find the material which is more, much more handy to you. And even with the Ram Earth project, we have the Wangji Memorial Hall that is working with Ram Earth walls. And we just ask the local villagers to build the way that, that they're most familiar with. I guess it must be easy to kind of find people to maintain things as well, if that's what they're used to building with and, and working with. Exactly, exactly. But we are not denying, you know, concrete or steel, this modern type of a building material or construction method. And we worked a lot with engineered timber structure. It all varies. Some of the villager community, they have a different preference on material. So this also comes as part of the discussion from the beginning. For the factory projects, it's 
more difficult to work with the natural wood, right? So we propose this engineered timber structure, which, which is a modern material, but also can fit with all the building regulations and the requirements of working as a functioning factory. So each project has its own story, material, and construction method. So another strand of your recent work is finding new uses for abandoned quarries in the Jinyun region to the east of Songyang. These quarries have extraordinary spatial qualities, almost like a found cathedral. Tell us a little bit about these projects. Jinyun County is just right next to Songyang County. They actually invited us for a research and possible collaboration. They brought up a list of projects of different new buildings in the region. But after our visit, we discovered that the quarry has been a major historical context and also the main industry in the history of Jingyin County. It's been heavily relying on quarry industry the extraction of stone from the mountain as their main income resource since Song Dynasty, which is over a thousand years ago. Most of the quarries were closed down by the government over 20 years ago because of safety issue and also environmental interruption. So we discovered that there were well, so many, over 3,000 abandoned quarries in the region. So we actually, instead of working with the given projects, we proposed a theme on these abandoned quarries by adaptive reuse. So we actually work with a cluster of uh, quarries in the scenic district, looking into different typology of abandoned quarries to provide a solution or model example for the rest 3,000 quarries. And it first come with safety, structural safety reinforcement with geotechnical engineers. So that was really the priority to restore the interrupted ecology in this region. And also by looking into the different pre-existing space, each one of them is really monumental. It's incredibly beautiful and, and spectacular space. And, and that, that was the whole project um, we started. So what are some of the uses that you've proposed? With the nine quarries planned for the first stage, right, we have been working with quarry as a performance space or like a quarry theater or a quarry for study, for the public reading, cultural activities. We have a couple of new quarries starting construction in the next phase. They are more or less covered. So these quarries will become tea house or restaurants, which will also become the new economic potential for this region. Given the history of over a thousand years and with a population of um, half million in the region, everybody has knows been touched by this. Exactly, exactly. They have family members used to work in the quarry business. So the local people and local villagers have been expecting the quarry in the past decades for some new program or new possibilities. This is really something they are proud of. 
because oh, yeah, there's some there's some incredible spaces, so like kind of tall and like, I don't know, cathedral-like that to kind of give them a, a use and have people kind of able to experience these spaces. There's something really thrilling about it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is really astonishing when you first walk into the space. That's why we call it minimal intervention strategy with minimal kind of a touch over these spaces. But really the attention is toward the spectacular monument done by these villages, by the local community. One of my highlights of my university trip to China was going to see the famous Hakka Tulo buildings in Tanlo. For our listeners, Tulo is a large round or sometimes square building with balcony access housing on the inside and a big earthen wall on the outside. And we stayed in one as well. I understand that you're working on a project with Tulos now. Uh, can you tell us what that is? Sure, I'd love to. I'm really overwhelmed by Tulo. And I'm from Fujian region. And Tulo actually is a very unique and traditional building typology in this region. And it's both defense structure and communal living space. So the REM Earth is for defense purpose, right? Also functioning as structural support for the whole, together with the timber structure within this REM Earth wall. Each Tulo can accommodate dozens of families and sometimes over a hundred families living as a collective living within each Tulo building. In just recent decades, the original inhabitants started to move out and build their own houses around in the mountain in, in the region. And many of the Tulo buildings become vacant structure and eventually abandoned. So there are still thousands of Tulo buildings in the region. Well, 46 Tulo buildings are listed by UNESCO as World Cultural Heritage but thousands of original Tulo buildings become abandoned structure. So we have been looking into the theme of Tulo, similar as we worked with Quarry theme in Jingyun County. We started to look into a number of Tulo buildings, seven altogether. For example, one Tulo could become the agricultural workshop uh, a headquarter for the local tropical fruits production plantation and workshop. And um, in a different, in another village, Tulo can become a visitor center and porcelain workshop for the local historical porcelain. So each one is given very different public programs, really based on the local context. But in that way, instead of making new buildings, for public cultural programs, we could always reuse this pre-existing space, whether Tulo or Quarry, with adaptive program new functions to restore the, the local identity and also to revive the local heritage. So this aspect of your work of reusing existing buildings really resonates with conversations going on here in the UK at the moment. And, and even to the point of saying that the answer to an architectural commission is not necessarily a new building. And that fundamentally redefines what it means to be an architect. It's, it's a road change for architects 
for the urban or rural, we need to look into architecture, not just as a given commission, but really we can take initiative. We can, we need to reevaluate our current resource, and with design, it could really convert to law or quarry, which were considered as a waste from. From the past, right? Yeah, yeah. and mm. and into something valuable, and and even something only very unique, only belonging to this place. How does your approach translate to a European or American context? Do you think? Tell us about your Yale studio. Our studio is called Reinventing Reffenhausen, and we are looking into a village Reffenhausen in Sauerland, Germany, to revive this village. To well, to take design as a strategy. So it's very similar kind of a method that we have been working in our rural context in China. Of course, the the issues are different from every place, but but rural is always kind of a, a global challenge. What else do you have in the pipeline, Chan? <laughs> Such exciting work. I I think we are always exploring different、um, places in in China. So at the moment, we are starting a project looking into a small island, also in Fujian region in South China. We are also starting a theme on sustainable agriculture. So, from our vantage point here in the UK, there seems to have been a great flowering of architectural quality in China over the last fifteen years or so, with a real emphasis on quality and not just quantity. Would you say it's become easier to produce design-led architecture in China in recent years? If you look into rural region, with this central rural revitalization policy. It brings new possibility, or it's also a new discourse on architecture in the rural context. I have seen a lot of、uh, many young architects working in the rural region in the past years. I think this will be very exciting and really interesting to see in in the next couple of years what、uh, Chinese architecture will direct in the next years. I'd like to conclude with a couple of questions about this year's Obel Award winner.、Uh, now in its fourth year, the Obel is an annual Danish architecture prize which awards one hundred thousand euros for a seminal innovation in the built environment, which addresses a critical issue of our time. And you've been on the jury now for several years. This year's winner is Ceratec, a manufacturing process for Net zero concrete. Can you tell us a bit about Ceratec? This year was a really a a huge discussion, because Obel is an architectural prize, and normally you would choose a project done by architect, right? But I think at the end, every jury agreed that climate change. This is such an urgent issue. It takes a revolution. From the foundation of our building industry, really a new innovative material can make the change in a short time. So there 
currently many innovations in the concrete industry. Uh, why has the Obel jury singled out Ceratec? There's one specific quality about Ceratec is that not only it's carbon uh, neutral concrete, but it also adapts easily to our current manufacturing system. So it can easily apply to our construction system in different countries around the world. Right. Well, we'll be looking to hear more about Ceratec in the coming months. We'll put a link in the show notes where listeners can read more about it. Thank you very, very much, Chan Chan. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time, and we look forward to following your work as it develops. After this episode, Climate Champions will take a short pause for a few weeks. We intend to start a new season in the spring. In the meantime, please catch up with some of our previous episodes. Do get in touch if there are potential guests you'd like to hear from. You'll find my email in the show notes. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.architectsjournal.co.uk forward slash podcasts, where you can also catch up with all our previous episodes. If you're enjoying Climate Champions, please subscribe and do rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps people find us. Thanks.